0: photo shelter presents vision slightly blurred i'm alan murabayashi
1: and i'm sarah jacobs
0: sarah last year during the height of the black lives matter protest the new york times commissioned a whole bunch of photographers uh, to produce a piece called sources of self-regard self-portraits from black photographers reflecting on america we talked about that package last year there was some incredible work by a lot of great photographers And last week they did a similar package with Asians and Asian Americans called Asians and Asian Americans uh, Photographers Show What Love Looks Like. And there was just a huge range of photographers from all over the country, uh, from all different ethnicities, East Asian, South Asian, mixed uh, ethnicities, and with just really tender photographs. I was really kind of struck by the whole mood that was set by that piece. What was your take on that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Me too. I mean, the prompt, what does love look like in a time of hate, is so broad and complex. And I really felt like the resulting work reflected that. Um, I mean, while food seemed to be kind of this common theme depicted and talked about by more than one photographer, really, which I, I just loved, the subject matter, the color palettes, the approach to the answer to that very complex question all just visually varied, and it it made for an incredibly wonderful package to scroll through.
0: There were 28 photographers uh, in the package. The images were edited by Nakkyung Han and Jolie Rubin. And a number of the photographers we've talked about on the show before, including Haruka Sak- Sakaguchi, Stephanie Mei Ling, who we talked about last week, mm-hmm. Younghee Kim, Chang W. Lee, who's a, a staff photographer for the New York Times, and just a ton of other photographers whose work I wasn't familiar with, but I, but I loved.
1: Yeah, I really particularly love Stephanie Mayling's work. Um, she did some black and white self-portrait work that was just really stunning. And you know me, I'm a sucker for self-portrait work. So th- those really, really drew me in. Um, one photographer on the list who I've had the honor of working with, Jingyu Lin, um, was on there. I had a shoot with her once. She did the lighting. She saved my butt. <laughs> she, she was amazing. <laughs> For this piece, she took photographs um, of food in her kitchen that were, just looked uh, wonderful.
0: You know, the food thing is is definitely real in the Asian cultures that I'm a part of in, in Japanese and in Korean uh, uh, culture. But, you know, there's a lot of cultures where the familial instincts is... To feed people, You know, I see that in, in some European cultures, Italian culture, for example, mm. you know, French culture is, is very similar in terms of like being food oriented. So it, it's neat to see the Asian, Asian American perspective on that, but also knowing that it's not totally unique. Um, some of the images that I loved of photographers I, w- I wasn't familiar with, Ricardo Nagaoka's photos. Uh, he actually had two different subjects, but there was a, a set of color photos of two sisters um, that were just lovely. You could kind of see how much they, they adored each other. Uh, the color in Heather Sten's photos, um, hmm. something really kind of ephemeral about, about the color palette that she was using.
1: She uh, has an incredible portfolio. She takes a lot of celebrity portraiture in sort of this artful editorial way. And yeah, her work was really stunning for this.
0: Tess Ayano talked about how her parents, uh, were of mixed heritage. She had a white father and a Japanese mother, if I'm remembering correctly. And now she's dating uh, a a mixed person, and she herself is mixed. So she would juxtapose uh, photos of her parents against similar posed photos of herself and her boyfriend, uh, which I thought was fantastic. Um, Hiroko Masuike is a staff photographer, if I'm remembering correctly, for the New York Times. And she was in Japan. And to me, her photos read as the most Documentary, photojournalistic of of the bunch, uh, mm. and it was just uh, documenting her her parents in you know this small Japanese apartment and cooking and doing the the daily life life thing, uh, which was fantastic. And maybe the set of photos that was most like that, that doesn't look like Asians was Alex <laughs> Lau's uh, weightlifters. Mm. Um, and I think one of the points of this package was to sort of counter stereotypes that we have in our mind about what white people do, about what non-white people do, about what Asians do, et cetera. And oftentimes, you know, Asians and Asian men uh, are portrayed as like these skinny weakling guys who only do martial arts. So it was great to see these like jacked bodies (laughs) lifting huge amounts of weight. Um, Mm -hmm. That just resonated with me. You know, when I was growing up in the seventies and the eighties, depictions of Asians was really, really limited to like Bruce Lee and Jackie Chan, mm. and you would never have a lead uh, actor, for example. Uh, there were very few known athletes in, in the West of you know Asian heritage, um, and you started to see a little bit of that shifting into the late '90s, early 2000s, when like Lisa Ling was you know on Charlie's Angels, but she was still portrayed as like the exotic one, right? Mm. And it wasn't really until like. We get into Lost, the ABC uh, kind of mystery drama where you start to see depictions of Asians as just like regular people, uh, which is so heartening. And so now I'm, I'm so glad to see uh, the New York Times commissioning these photographers to show what Asian Americans look like in this country. Uh, just f- fantastic work.
1: Annie Leibovitz has photographed yet another Vogue cover, (laughs) (laughs) but this time it was received uh, much better by the public than her previous um, shots. This was of Amanda Gorman, uh, the young woman who is the very first National Youth Poet Laureate. She recited her poem, The Hill We Climb, at Biden's inauguration, and she is the recent Vogue cover star. Photographed by Annie Leibovitz, and honestly, I think the photos are stunning. Twitter was happy with them, so of course, Annie Leibovitz didn't get much attention. <laughs> 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 I did well, notice. I did notice that people weren't calling her out as much. <laughs> um, yeah, what do you think of the shots?
0: Well, last July, uh, Annie shot Simone Biles for the Vogue cover, yes. and just got nailed because the the skin tones were were honestly pretty horrible. Yeah. Um and you know a lot of people were saying Annie doesn't know how to shoot black people, she doesn't know how to do black skin and uh you know Annie's been around for a really really long time and I I don't think it was a technical choice per se. I think it was a artistic choice. You know, if mm-hmm. you look at a lot of her portraiture, there's a color cast to it. I mean, she's she's grading the photos to color grading the photos to look a certain way and in this case um, you know, when you look at the photos of Amanda Gorman and you see the, the styling and the makeup uh, and the lighting, they're beautiful photos. So my, my takeaway from this was like, yeah, they look pretty good. Now, <laughs> I will say when you compare the photos of Amanda Gorman from the inauguration and the, the tone of her skin compared to these Vogue images, the Vogue images still have a color cast on them. Mm-hmm. Amanda Gorman, from the inauguration photos and from other photos I've seen, is a fairly dark-skinned person. And in these photos, she has a lighter sort of caramel complexion. And again, I think it's an artistic choice to, to have the color grading kind of flow into those warmer, uh, kind of ruddy, reddish tones. And either you agree with it or you don't. I don't yeah. think it's accurate to say that Annie doesn't know what she's doing technically.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I would agree with that. I would say that the photos do not completely accurately depict, um, Amanda Gorman, but they do have an artistic vision from Annie that you're seeing, uh, that has those kind of like those warmer yellow tones, et cetera. Um, I recently had a thrift store find of Annie's 1983 book photographs. Um, and it, I mean, her early work from the '70s and early '80s is just incredibly, incredibly meticulous. Uh, and she really, you can tell that she really has sort of, in her more recent years, I think, artistically expanded and and let go of some of the rigidness I think that used to be in some of mm-hmm. her photographs. Um, but that book makes it clear. I mean, obviously. Most of the people depicted in that book are white. Um, but for example, there's Muhammad Ali, a great shot of him. And it looks very accurate to to his skin tone. So she, I mean, she knows how to do it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, my observation about her work across the years is that she embraced digital compositing um, and would piece together elements of one photograph to make a, a- aesthetically, you know, quote, perfect image in a lot of ways. Um, She didn't have that ability when she was shooting film in the 70s and 80s. Um, And so it is a real evolution of her style and and embracing what she thinks works best with her. Um, Mm Kind of curiously, uh, when when the Gorman cover came out, a set of Entertainment Weekly covers also came out. And Twitter user Chris Evans, not Captain America Chris Evans, uh, (laughs) asked... Uh, how can Entertainment Weekly do better than Vanity Fair and Vogue, basically you know kind of a, a little jab at at Annie I think mm. and those covers are are gorgeous, but I would also argue that there is a slight color cast to those mm-hmm. images as well there's a ruddiness to those images as well it's it's nothing like the yellowishness of the uh Simone Biles images, but you know they're not they're not neutral in terms of perfectly white balanced images either.
1: Yeah, that's true. Those were photographed by ABDM studios and they are photos of Regina King and Viola Davis for entertainment weekly. Um, and yeah, those photos are are great too, but technically they're just different. They're a little, they're more crisp, they're sharper. It's more about like, There's a more real feeling to it, whereas, like I mentioned before, with the Gorman photos um, taken by Annie, there's that artistic vision going on. Yeah,
0: yeah. All of the links that we talk about today, you can find on our blog at blog.photoshelter.com. I came across a piece in Fast Company, and it was about the photo annual known as American Photography Uh, They print a compendium of great photography uh, every year, and they've been using a printer in Hong Kong uh, for a little bit over the past decade, not realizing that that printer was actually sending the work into mainland China. And this past year, it turns out that the Chinese printer wouldn't print 13 of the images because they were considered offending. Now, you might recall last year with the Sony World Photo Contest, that there were a set of images by three different photographers, uh, Ko Chung Ming, uh, David Buteau, and Adam Ferguson, that had a few images or all of the image, images censored from the website for uh, a, a period of time, if not indefinitely. And actually, David Buteau ended up withdrawing his entry because they wouldn't publish the series in whole. Um, And so some of Bouteau's images were to be published in this American Photography uh, edition, and the Chinese printer said they wouldn't print these images. So the publisher of American Photography said, you know what? Print blank pages in place of those. And what they did was they printed the real images back in Hong Kong and then inserted them into the book after the fact. Hmm. Seems like a smart
1: workaround. It seems like a smart
0: workaround. The publisher, uh, a guy by the name of Heflin, said uh, in this piece, although the use of negative space reads as a powerful statement of creative resilience and a visual recognition of the fact that editorial independence isn't a given in many countries, Heflin says they weren't trying to make a point. They were simply trying to find a functional workaround to get the books into people's hands. Blank pages often occur in book designs to pace content or to give a powerful uh, visual more impact He said, but he concedes in this case, it's not a moment of quiet. It was their only course of protests and dissent. It's actually a pretty powerful visual dissent, even if it was unintentional uh, to Mm. see, you know, what censorship looks like literally on the page where you have the blank page and you have the inserts there.
1: I feel like there's always some kind of controversy going on around contests, whether it's like (laughs) with the judges, with the winners, um, with the just everything, everything about them,
0: I think that's that's partially why we become growingly cynical about the role of contests. Mm. And yet, you know, there's value in in curating a really really good set of images and celebrating great work. So uh, I'm a bit torn, but yes, uh, yeah. they're sort of fraught with controversy. Speaking of controversy, whoo, mm. uh, Twitter blew up this past weekend. Because a Ireland-based retoucher named Matt Lawry decided to colorize and then alter the expression of victims of the Cambodian genocide from neutral uh, poses into smiles. Mm. And Vice magazine published uh, these images alongside an interview. Um, and it was actually the second interview in as many months written by an intern by the name of Eliza McPhail. If you're not familiar with the Cambodian genocide, let me just bring you up to speed. The Khmer Rouge uh, regime murdered hundreds of thousands of people, political opponents, um, on the idea of uh, racial purity, national racial purity. And a lot of Cambodian minorities were executed. Uh, There were arbitrary executions and tortures. Um, And uh, between 1975 and 1978, they estimate that 1.5 to 2 million people, representing about 25% of the Cambodian population, were killed. Now, in these execution and torture centers, one of which is a a, a reclaimed school called Tuol Seng, which I visited before, they set up a photo booth to capture the people that they were gonna torture and kill. And so these images, just like in Auschwitz, are part of a visual record of the horrible things that happened during this particular genocide. So they published this interview with Lawfrey with smiling people that were tortured and killed. And he looks like allegedly made up a lot of details about these victims. Yeah. It, it was unbelievable.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's how it got on my radar is that um, a woman on Twitter by the name of Lydia had uh, tweeted out about one of the images, which is a photo of her uncle. And there was misinformation um, about, about this person in the vice article um, to the point where the, they, they mentioned that he might have that she would have a cousin and she was like reading it and like, wait, there's, I might have a cousin that I don't know about. <laughs> no, that is not the case. This was just false information. Put forward by Vice and by this retoucher,
0: that particular image of Lydia's uncle uh, Kval Yang was maybe the only image in which the subject of the the portrait actually had a little bit of a smirk or a smile on it. So she says that in this case, she has seen the the original image and that was accurate. But they colorized the image and, and then Loffrey made up this whole fabricated history for this person, which is completely inaccurate. There were other images uh, with people where they were uh, put into a smiling expression. And then there was one image that had uh, blood streaked uh, in a handprint on the wall that wasn't original. There were a number of images of uh girls and women uh with smiles on their face. And then, you know, there are excerpts from the interview where he's just making up this BS about why they were smiling. It was it was crazy talk.
1: Just why anyone would think that this is okay in this erasing history. Uh it it blows my mind. This man must have the largest ego. And be very <laughs> ignorant. <laughs> That's my, my
0: thoughts. A journalist uh, in Phnom Penh uh, reported uh, in a tweet that her friend had contacted Lawfree and he responded to this Cambodian friend. Uh, and he says, nonsense, I'm not falsifying history or anything of the sort. People are very quick to call out others, but the reality is something morally justifiable. I've worked with 142 and counting Cambodian families since ni- uh, 2019, uh, et cetera, et cetera. In some cases, the prisoners were smiling, and Vice wrote about this. My observations on that are my own, and I think I'm right about the nervousness and captor aspect. It, it, mm. What? So he, yeah. he's, he's okay to create a smile because they were nervous, and so that's his interpretation?
1: Right. He touts this like, oh, they were probably nervous and wanted to appease their captors. So they were smiling. What? That is just completely, yeah, falsified.
0: (laughs) Cambodia's Ministry of Culture and Fine Arts issued a statement uh, in response to this interview and these images and threatened legal action against Vice and Lofrey if they didn't remove the images. Vice did end up deleting the article completely. You will see a 404 not found Message if you try to go to the original URL. And they left, uh, they, pu- they subsequently published an editorial statement regarding photographs of the Khmer Rouge victims. And you can find it on their website and we'll have it on our blog at blog.photoshelter.com. That was some weak sauce. That <laughs> was some BS. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I will also say, you know, Eliza McPhail, I mean, she's an intern for this organization and clearly is not an experienced journalist by any stretch of the imagination, but it's really hard to blame the intern when there's zero oversight of what that intern is doing for your publication. And I really Mm -hmm. blame Vice in this case for having no editorial oversight and no standards for the type of uh, uh, pieces that they're publishing. The fact that there is another interview with him from uh, 30 days prior to this, where he's, he's basically doing the same thing. With uh, Australian mugshots is crazy.
1: Oh, where was that published? Also oh, yeah. advice?
0: <laughs> yeah, also advice by the same mm-hmm. author. Oh. Nuts, nuts, nuts. Um, mm. I actually wrote a piece in 2017 contrasting the images from Auschwitz and the images from Khmer Rouge. And you might recall from uh, uh, previous discussions that the photographer in Auschwitz, Wilhelm Brasse, did not like the Nazis and was thrown into Auschwitz because he dissented against what they were doing. He's a Polish guy. And because he worked in a photographic salon, he knew how to take photos. And so they conscripted him to take photos. When it was clear that the Nazis were going to uh, lose uh, World War II, he, with his lab assistant collected a whole bunch of negatives that they were supposed to burn and buried them in the ground so that they could retrieve them later as visual evidence of what the Nazis had done. By contrast, in Cambodia, uh, a guy by the name of Nem N, who was uh, just a teenager at the time, was conscripted to be the photographer. And there's a documentary about him called The Conscience of Nem N." And I watched a few months ago. He's completely remorseless about his role in taking photos. Mm. And he just says, well, you know, I had a job and I did it. And, you know, people died and were, you know, horribly tortured and he just didn't care. So even the circumstance around the creation of the photos has this terrible origination story. And then to have Loughrey go in there and like turn neutral or frowning faces into smiles is so offensive. It's unbelievable.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I hope he takes a beat. Um, and kind of realizes just how offensive this is, how wrong it is. Um, I hope the Ministry of Culture and Fine Arts does take legal action um, against his work because this should not be published a- anyplace else.
0: And you know the, the difficult thing about this, which should give any uh, retoucher or artist pause, is once these images are off out on the internet, there's no way to undo it. People are going to find right. smiling images of these victims of the genocide and think that they're authentic Yeah, because there's, you know, the caption information gets stripped or all the context is taken away. We really, really have to be careful about the way that we employ technology. We talked about that, that my heritage, uh, deep nostalgia service that would animate old photos mm,
1: uh, a mm-hmm. few weeks
0: ago. And, you know, when I ran it against, uh, images of my grandparents, uh, I noted how inaccurate it was, like my That's grandmother right. never made that sort of gesture before. And this guy Lawfrey is marketing a similar service, which quite honestly, I think he's just using the MyHeritage uh, software and then putting his own watermark on it. Uh, oh but he seems to have no scruples over manipulating historical images. Uh, it's very tragic in my, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, I wonder how old this guy is. I not saw a
0: picture of him on Twitter. He was, you know, like young 30s, maybe late 20s.
1: Okay. Um, uh, he mm, take a history class, Matt. <laughs> Seriously? Let's not, let's not be doing this.
0: Well, I hate to end it on a on a negative note like that, I know. but uh, I'm sure we'll find some great photography, uh, uplifting photography to share next week.
1: I hope so. <laughs> That hasn't been digitally manipulated.
0: Exactly. You can find all the articles that we talked about today on our blog at blog.photoshelter.com. Hit that subscribe button. Leave us a rating. You can always tweet us a comment at Photoshelter. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. PhotoShelter is the online leader for photography websites and workflow tools. Archive, distribute, and sell your photos in a mobile-friendly, responsive website. Try one free for 14 days at PhotoShelter.com slash podcast. Then download one of our free educational guides at PhotoShelter.com slash resources.